This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Hey everybody, Tim Capel here, and welcome to, I can hardly believe now, already our third episode of Traders of the Lost Arks. This is a comic-centered pop podcast here on Place to Be Nation Pop. And we've got a great panel, as always. Joining me to go through our next topic is uh, he shares my love of uh, of 80s and, and early 90s comics. This is uh, Sean Kidd, and we're going to be talking about a book from the 80s on this episode. So, Sean, I know you're looking forward to this one as much as I am. Yes, good evening, Tim. I am super excited for tonight's episode. I'm not going to spoil it here on the upfront, so we'll jump into it. Uh, selected by uh, not our traditional comics reader uh, host tonight, so I'm really excited to talk about this one, but we definitely have a treat in store for our uh, listeners this evening, so looking forward to it. That's right, and uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, probably on the verge of quitting, um, <laughs> certainly after we go through this, is uh, Scott Shiflett. Scott, how are you? You guys are so lucky that I enjoy doing this with you because <laughs> I did this read a couple of days ago, and uh, the app that you that you told me uh, to download to, to read this on has a little counter in the bottom left-hand corner when you click the info on how long it takes you to read the comic. I was taking like, 30, like 15, 20 minutes per comic. Oh, yeah, ju- easily. Just because it... Not only what it was a little verbose, but that's 80s comics. But also, it was slowly make, lo, making me lose my will to live. And um, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. And it's usually uh, for you guys that listen to these um, on our pop feed and even on the wrestling feed. Uh, me and Sean usually have uh, different opinions. And where I'm usually like, I like it. And Sean's like, it, it's butt. And he calls me a mark for everything. Uh, this time... Uh, it's trash. Like, uh, there's another way around it. I'm sorry, Andy. (laughs) All right. So, um, excited to be here, but also losing the will to live is Scott Shifflett. But the man of the hour, the man who picked this episode's topic, believe it or not, the, I guess, non, uh, you know, comics oriented Andy Atherton. Uh, so Andy, why don't you tell us, um, what you picked uh, for us to read and why you picked it. Well, I just wanted to prove to everybody that not only am I a real American hero, there is more to me than meets the eye. Okay? Mm. And that that oh. is why I picked G.I. Joe versus the or and the Transformers. And right? the, yeah, oddly enough, not a versus, but an and the. That yeah. threw me off a couple times. It's yeah. not uh-huh. and the Transformers. It's one of those things like I had in my in my memory, I guess, I had thought it was because based on the cover for the first episode uh, issue, you would think that it's G.I. Joe versus the Transformers, but it's G.I. Joe and the Transformers. Yeah. Yes. As 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 has been well established, even though we are only in our third episode, that I have not really read comics, but I have, and I actually own. I can I can if you hear, I am holding physical comics because I own That's the right. series, and some accompanying the uh, other 
G.I. Joe and Transformers just because I my geekdom really in the 80s outside of video games growing up was was cartoons more specifically the weekday afternoon cartoons coming home from school and this was like all through even in the high school and continuing to college and if it was still on I would probably watch it today but coming home and watching Thundercats and Voltron and Mask and my two favorites four and four thirty on WPIX channel 11 in New York was I believe at four o'clock it was G.I. Joe and at 430 was Transformers so that was appointment viewing for me every weekday I had several G.I. Joe figures. I didn't have that many Transformers, but it was just something that and me and all my my friends in the neighborhood, we all we all watched them. It was it was something I just grew up loving. Uh, Hate that they can't get it right in a movie really uh, today. But I just picked something that I was familiar with and you guys threw me a bone. Um, Mm. I I know of the characters and stuff like we'll talk about in like the superhero and other Ones I don't know the story specifically, but I know of the characters. I, I don't go too deep into that. But this is something where I recognize the characters. I had memories flashing back. I was getting angry about some characters being there, some characters not being there. Also confused because my memory, you know, fa- is fading at times and <laughs> and trying to figure out where in the timeline we were. And I'm like, did this happen? This really happened? It was yeah, it was it was a fun fun read though for me because I really uh, you know I felt like I I was there like I I uh, could relate and I had some frame of reference not like in uh, our first two where I was kind of just like there for the ride and kind of figuring out as I go there was a lot of comics uh, logic and things happening in in these uh, four uh, books but comics logic I like it. But there was a there was a lot yeah a lot of comics type things stuff you wouldn't see in the cartoon that I was used to you know it was like it was like yeah, a different yeah. different medium a different forum different ways of of telling stories different things happening because some things that you would never see I mean for crying right. out loud nobody ever died in the cartoon no, no. nobody or got shot like no just, they all, they always like if a jet went down they always parachuted in like the yeah. last bit or I mean, yeah they fired so many damn bullets but nobody ever not one fatal shot was ever was ever fired in the i want to say yeah and correct me if i'm wrong i I wasn't and i'm gonna have a lot of questions for you andy i'm just gonna (laughs) state that out at the outset because for once this is going to be more of an education for me more of a learning experience because i have very little exposure to these characters and and this world i i gather they seem to share the same world if not in the cartoon then then in the comics um so what i remember from watching like episodes of gi joe here and there which i never really watched it as it was on it was just sort of i guess whenever i could catch it um it was just like crisscrossing laser beams going crazy all across the screen. The blue ones for, were the, the Joes, the red ones were for Cobra, nothing ever connected with anything. And it was just like complete chaos. And, um, I know it's a lot of characters. I, I, I guess I kind of know the, the big character, the big names, um, Transformers seemed a little bit more, To my mind, I don't want to say sophisticated, but it seemed a little bit less um, 
all all over the place <laughs> compared to G.I. Joe, where, I don't know, it seemed to have more concrete plots. It, it seemed to have um, probably, it, it, to my mind at least, again, correct me if I'm wrong, fewer characters, so it was easier to, to focus in on something or someone. Um, I want to say maybe it was a little bit more violent, although I might just be thinking of the movie, which I know somewhat well. Does that it was stand up in your mind? It was uh, maybe a little more violent, more explosions and things. But the thing about Transformers is they the the rosters are probably similar sizes. I think GI Joe is probably a tad bigger. But the thing about Transformers was you had the two main sides. You had the Autobots and Decepticons, but then you had all these subgroups that were introduced over time and. Ultimately, they all and they were all small, though. They were all like five to six per and they all formed a giant ass robot, you know, and and that kind of made a giant ass robot in the series. Yeah, it made it kind of easier to to, um, I guess, figure out because there were certain characters using certain stories where it was like in G.I. Joe, you had people that were you know the they were there because they're you know they can do this one thing really well i can't i'll put it this way i can't even really tell you who the leadership of gi joe (laughs) is or was like okay so i remember it being this guy called duke okay and that's my leader all right so who is this was that channing tatum all right so in the movie yeah miss cast yes all right so general hall i thought so in the uh-huh. comics, Hawk is the leader. Duke was created uh-huh. for the cartoons. Okay. And as you see, but I guess as you can see as the story we talk about tonight, there's a reason why they created Duke for the cartoons based on well, Hawk being such a okay, so Hawk is, as a kid. I hate him even more now. Yeah. Is Hawk in the cartoon at all? Yes. No. He comes in later. He comes yeah, in later. Yeah. He does come in later, but in the early ones, no. And it threw me off as a kid because when Duke was the leader, I'm like, where the fuck is Hawk? Okay. <laughs> is, all right. So, and then all right, it so threw me Duke, off like, because when Hawk comes in, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, it's like, we is, did, why is Hawk even here? Because Duke was our was our leader. That's mm-hmm. it's Duke, Duke threw was like the Danny Ocean and Flint was like Rusty. Yes. <laughs> like, correct. Yes. All right. Um, was Duke in the comics at all? That's the Sean question. <laughs> uh, I would have to do some research. Uh, no, uh, in early, I, uh, I say the comics. Let's hey, just say the original him, Marvel comics. Uh, in the original, if he was, it would be much, much later. Okay, much later. so probably not. Yeah. We'll see. Um, all right, and is, isn't there a guy called, like, General Flag or something? Yes. Or Command... Or, uh, Commander, yes, or so, yeah, I don't yeah, know. he's like, see, this is how ignorant I am. When yeah, it comes yeah, to he's these. like, yes, he's like Hawks, like, he's like the Pentagon guy, he's like, like yeah, he's right, the he was like he's the this, government, yeah. like, liaison to GI, yeah, Joseph, he's like, like the government okay. guy, he's not really a huge factor, in, he's like, not a combatant, he's, yeah, just he's not a, a, yeah, exactly, yes, he's okay. more like a, like a name that you hear more than the character you see. Gotcha, like we have to report gotcha. back the flag, or this is flags uh, orders, or something like that. From what I can remember from the cartoon. Hey Tim, See? he's like he's like Mick Fury. He's like those people up on the screen Mick Fury had to talk to on the computer when they were all like yeah, on the yeah. computer screen in the event in the Marvel movies. I got you. So yeah. I guess that's what confused me about GI Joe. You've got like a lot of 
I mean, it's it's the military, right? So you've got a lot of branches of the organization. You got a lot of you've got a hierarchy and a lot of different leaders, and not necessarily everyone's going to be in every episode. And I just think of Transformers as being okay. It's Optimus Prime and the Autobots, and it's Megatron and the Decepticons, and that's kind of all I really need to know. And um, that's not really a complaint. I mean, for for fuck's sake, I'm somebody who reads and, and loves X-Men comics from, you know, the 60s through the early 2000s, really, which is about as convoluted as anything gets. Um, but I just, you know, that's that's where I, as, as a newcomer, have a harder time with, with these two properties. Now, one more question. Um, did you have a favorite, Andy, between the two of, of G.I. Joe Transformers? Was there one that is it like you can't choose or was there one that was significantly better than the other at, at a certain time or are they are they held in equal standing for you they're they're pretty close but if they were on tv against each other i would probably go gi joe you would watch gi joe over transformers mm-hmm. if you had to yeah okay i i would second that <clears throat> okay um, Schiff, you've, you've been quiet. I, I don't mean to me- leave you out. Um, do you have any familiarity with either of these other than maybe the shitty movies that have been made in recent just, years? Just the shitty movies. Um, that's the only, like, you know, when I said Duke was Channing Tatum, that's the only familiarity that I have with it. And then yeah. killed him off in the second movie, spoilers. And then, um, Oh, that made me trans- mean. I, that made me even more angry and hated yeah, that yeah. film from that moment. Yeah. Fuck, fuck like they lost. They they as somebody you guys know. Like I love what I love, and I will go to bat for things that you know. I like look Avatar. I've, I've I kind of really like, and I like. I actually really liked um, Snake Eyes that movie. But yeah, they. I was. I go. I go into these movies with like hopes up, and they always get dashed. Like, first Transformers wasn't terrible. I don't hate that movie, but after that, it was all downhill. But the moment they killed Duke off, I'm like, y'all lost me. I you like yeah. you, you just yeah. fucked over your your biggest supporter here, and I'm out. Hey Tim, real quick, uh, yep. Duke. Duke uh, first appears in GI Joe number twenty two as a as a security person at General Flag's funeral. <laughs> wow so, just okay. to coincide with those two characters for you <clears throat> interesting so all right so that should we should establish that the cartoon universe for both of these properties is rather different than the comics universe for these properties um you know these are both um you know huge multimedia 1980s franchises um I mean, by this point, and by the way, these these issues, um, it's issues one through four. This is a uh, limited series, by the way, uh, as opposed to a mini series. That was a that was a Marvel DC distinction that I don't think we've ever talked about. Marvel would brand everything uh, that was not an ongoing uh, title as a limited series. DC would use the term mini series. So I don't know why that distinction exists, but it always. It's always stood out in my mind because I'm weird like that. But um, I noticed these were cover dated uh, January 1987 through April 1987. For some reason, I don't I don't know if this if this this limited series, excuse me, was cover dated way far in advance of its actual publication dates because when you look at the stuff that was coming out. 
Yes. Alongside this, it like pulls everything back to that first issue being on sale like late September. So this is really like a September through December '86. Um, yeah, I noticed that too when I was looking series. at it because when so I was that's really. Yeah. And I think it's accurate. I think that that it, and I'm just going by Mike's World of Amazing which is an amazing website to get that information. But I think it's accurate based on some of the uh, the house ads and the like the the Marvel bullpen bulletins that lists all the stuff that's coming out alongside this issue that you're reading. Um, I think that Mike's World information is accurate. So. This is really um, a 1986 limited series. And boy, when we get to what else was coming out at this time, it's holy shit. Um, But anyway, you know, big multimedia franchises, you know, Transformers, they had had uh, the movie, Transformers the movie, kind of a big flop, but sort of popular, it seems like, within its fandom. I've actually it became seen it. a cult classic. Basically. Yeah, I was yeah, a cult say, classic. What, what, what are you calling a flop? I mean, <laughs> I, it didn't make money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it made money in our hearts, Tim. <laughs> it probably, you know, it probably did make money on the on the back end over the years, but at the time, it was not seen as a money maker. Um, now, interestingly, uh, there were several like kind of ongoing comics. Uh, series and projects all published by marvel at this point both gi joe and transformers had their own ongoing monthly series uh at this point gi joe would have been farther along than than transformers it was in like i don't know coming up on like issue 50 or in the 50s whereas transformers was in the 20s right um and this was not I should stress part of the star imprint, which was uh, a line of comics that Marvel published that were mostly licensed properties intended for children. These were kids comics. So it was stuff like um, Thundercats. Uh, yep. Alf was in there. Um, Heathcliff, Muppet Babies. Um, I think they did a, yep. Pep, uh, Masters of the Universe. Um Spider Ham, Spider Ham. <laughs> Not that it was licensed, but it was still yeah. a a star comic. But so you would think this that Transformers and GI Joe would be part of that imprint, um, but for whatever reason they were not. Um, Transformers was written at the time, uh, from its inception anyway, by uh, a guy named Bob Budiansky who. I mean, they tell the story on, if you've seen uh, the episode of the the Netflix uh, series, The Toys That Made Us, they did a a Transformers episode. I don't remember which series it was. But um, they do a nice little retelling of uh, Jim Shooter, the then editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, just sort of needing someone to write this, uh, this licensed comic that, you know, they just landed this, this pretty big deal through Hasbro, you know, they're already right. They're already doing GI Joe. Now they're like, okay, we're going to make some money off of transformers. Who do we get to do this? And, um, you know, nobody really wants to write a licensed book. It's sort of like, I don't know. Um, it's, it's seen as beneath a lot of, a lot of writers, I think. 
And um, I guess they don't like money. I guess not. But uh, Bob Budiansky was the man for the job, and he became associated with Transformers in, in kind of the same way that Larry Hama uh, was the longtime writer of G.I. Joe, again, for Marvel as well. And Larry Hama also did all the, uh, you know, the little file cards on the back of the action figures that had all the biographical information and everything. He wrote all of those also. So, um, makes sense. You got to figure those guys have made some money, like you said, Schiff, over the years. Just and they, they hopefully, did. Go ahead, Tim. Sorry. I just hope they had some pretty lucrative royalty um, incentives built into whatever, you know, work for higher contracts they had. Um, cause I'd like to think those guys are doing well today. Uh, what were you going to say, Andy? Well, it's basically the, um, the Transformers universe in the order of battle GI Joe's. That's what that is. Those are the cards that would come with the figures. Basically we told you like, okay. you know what okay. their real name is for GI Joe, where they're from, their skill set, and, and basically a mini biography, you know? And what's funny is I, is the, the GI Joe and the Transformers comics are of a cover price of 75 cents each. Yep. The Order of Battles and Transformers Universe had a cover price of a dollar twenty-five each. Oh, they're getting away with a little charging a little bit more. So those were, I guess, considered more of a premium guess, uh, special yes. series. So that yeah, so those were two of the spinoffs from the ongoing Transformers and uh, GI Joe books for Marvel. So you got to figure they're they're reasonably successful if they're already getting uh, spinoffs here. So they get, um, like you said, G.I. Joe, Order of Battle, Transformers Universe. Those were sort of, like you said, Andy, um, reference guides, character profiles. It was done very much, I noticed, from what I looked at, in the vein of the official Marvel, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, um, which, you know, Marvel did kind of the same thing for their, um, for their own characters. Uh, which went many, many, many volumes deep. Um, I also have down uh, something called G.I. Joe Digest, which I think was a reprint title of earlier issues, and something called G.I. Joe, excuse me, G.I. Joe Special Missions, which I couldn't tell you what that was, but it's another ongoing G.I. Joe series. So those franchises doing yeah, well for Marvel. Do like, uh, they would do like in the editions of individual joes so it's almost like a almost like a one-off series that oh, was separate okay like a one from like the ongoing like an avenger spotlight or yeah almost like perhaps to, to avengers on, west coast yeah to kind of focus on like yeah yeah to focus on one-off missions that didn't affect the ongoing series does that make sense yep i got you yep um and the aforementioned Transformers, the movie, got adapted as a four-issue, again, limited series by Marvel at the time that G.I. Joe and the Transformers was also on sale. Uh, so, wow. Um, and that's going to have, we think, an impact on how things play out, how events play out in this <laughs> uh, series, which we're going to get into, because it... Cause it it can be a little bit confusing, but um, before I delve into that, anything else on just memories of Transformers comics or G.I. Joe comics from the time you guys were reading them at all, before I get into the, the context of the time period here? Let's do it. 
All right. So, oh boy, 1986 in comics. Um, I mean, that's a huge year in general. We've kind of talked about and alluded to. It's, I think, going to be similar to 1992 in our, our first episode where we talked about Calf Wolf and everything that was being published in and around that time period. But, um, you know, taking it back to like, and I again, I'm going by September 1986 is our starting point, even though this first issue was cover dated as, as far ahead as January. Um, but you had Marvel celebrating their 25th anniversary uh, with each of their mm. <laughs> November cover dated issues um, featuring a prominent character and like a close up mugshot. So, um, you know, if it's a team book, they would take a, a prominent team member and, and, slapped their mug on the cover <laughs> and it had like a um it had a border running along the left left hand side and bottom uh of of the cover that was the same for each uh for each title so it basically was just a themed uh cover month for them just celebrating their 25th anniversary so you'd have things like captain america looking very optimistic and patriotic you'd have wolverine looking rugged and rough You'd have uh, variations on Spider-Man because he had, you know, uh, three different ongoing series at the time. Uh, you had Cyclops looking very dour. <laughs> I mean, just stuff like this. Um, but those are very memorable. Yeah, I very, I very distinctly remember the, ben the Venom, the Venom cover, the Venom costume. I remember that mm -hmm. one. Oh yeah, the black cover. costume. Uh, I think he was upside down on that one or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, something like that, but it's very distinguishable. I remember it's that. It's the type of thing that you, when you run across one of those issues, you kind of look at it and you go, what the hell? And then you go, oh, yeah, this was that 25th anniversary cover gimmick. Um, they they certainly stand out. Okay, so uh, Avengers Under Siege, the storyline where the Masters of Evil um, kind of break <laughs> into Avengers <laughs> Mansion and whip the entire team's ass, including Jarvis the Butler. Uh that is mm -hmm. not starting, but kind of uh, concluding. It's through its middle and concluding chapters in Avengers 273 through 276. That's a, I mean, a classic Avengers story. Roger Stern and John Buscema, creative team on that. Um, one of the great mm -hmm. Avengers stories before the Avengers were, you know, the huge franchise they are now. Um, I also have down John Walker a.k.a. U.S. Agent, making his first appearance. Uh, at the time, he was known as Super Patriot. That was in Captain America mm -hmm. number 323. Um, so DC, meanwhile, has just come out of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, big 12-issue, you know, year-long reboot of their entire universe. They're already gearing up for their next line-wide crossover because Legends number one is published, uh, which I've never actually read. I don't know if that's any good, but I, I sort of want to read it just knowing uh, a little bit about what it, what it involves. But, um, you know, sort of uh, parallel to that, they are, DC is, like, slowly reintroducing all of their flagship characters and their post-crisis forms. So... 
and that's that, that makes for kind of a wonky transition because it's not everything all at once. It's kind of okay. Here's Batman, which happens in Batman 401. Here's uh, Superman, which happened throughout the uh, Man of Steel miniseries, not limited series. Um, that continues into the ongoing Action Comics number 584 uh, and Superman number one. You also had the legacy title Adventures of Superman number 424. This is all the John Byrne Superman stuff, okay? Um, you've got, oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> the Mutant Massacre, which we've talked about. Uh, at least Sean and I <laughs> ad nauseum, I'm sure to you, Sean. Right? Yes. You're probably so sick of hearing about this. I'm gonna make y'all read it. I'm down for. I'm down for reading it. But like, I think you're gonna. I really do think you're gonna like it because it's a. It's I, a. It's got an easy hook. It's very accessible. I'll be on our special six hour episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll have to really plan for stuff like that. That's that many issues, but. The Mutant Massacre, you've got uh, Uncanny X-Men 211 through 213, New Mutants 45, uh, a Sean Kidd favorite power pack, number 27, where, where a group of children fight Sabretooth. Oh, um, X-Factor issues 10 and 11, Thor uh, numbers 273 to 274. Yes, Thor got involved in this X-Men crossover. It's kind of awesome. Uh, and Daredevil, number 238. Um, there is also... So, I would I would not call G.I. Joe an actual war comic because it's it's more of an action-adventure series, right? It, uh, I mean, yeah, it has the trappings of, you know, these two factions are at war, but it's not... Look, Saving Private Ryan, it's not, okay? Um, no, but it, was al- we, it was always about trying to... Um, you know, take squash one of Cobra's plans that schemes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, what are we gonna try this week? We're gonna, we're gonna try to, you know, take over the world through the insurance business. We're gonna this week. We're gonna (laughs) this week. We're gonna, you know, get our get mind control people's GI Joe's families because you know because they can't ever possibly fire on it. And that that episode fucked me up as a kid. By the way, Uh, you know. They somehow got the real names of G.I. Joe's and, and, and got them to all like, you know, uh, you know, mind control. It was it was pretty yeah. mind bent. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say, in contrast, uh, there was an actual war comic that uh, starts up around this time frame. It's called The Nam uh, by an actual Vietnam veteran uh, writer by the name of Doug Murray uh, with art from Michael Golden, which is a very big get uh for a series like this and it was a i I, it was sort of it was semi-autobiographical but it was more i guess you could consider it maybe historical fiction and comic book form um it was meant to be an eight-year sort of experimental comic i don't know that it lasted the full eight years it started let's see if it started in 86 yeah, I don't think it lasted as long as 94, but I, I could be wrong about that. Um, I want to say, like, the Punisher even makes some appearances later in the later in that run, like when he was in the war before he was the Punisher. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's um, such a weird time because, like, 
Vietnam is such a divisive war. Like, that's weird. Like, basically you 12 th- years after it ended, like, we, we have mm-hmm. a comic out on that. That would be like... We, yeah, we're going to do a comic about this very, you know, kind of um, rough subject matter. And still, like you said, very divisive, especially at that time. Um, well, there were a lot of movies, veteran. too. It was, it, was, it was... Vietnam was like the hot, you know subject at times because you had so many movies in the 80s that were coming out that was that was based on the vietnam war you know platoon female jacket and such so yeah well and um we also have a uh finally this is rounding out sort of the context here um Marvel, uh, again, this is part of their 20, 25th anniversary celebration, and uh, they decided, uh, and there were di- various different discussions about how are we going to really do this. They they even looked into doing a reboot along the lines of something like A Crisis on Infinite Earths, the way you know DC had done, and just start from scratch, mm-hmm. and they said, no... We always describe, you know, Marvel, what, what differentiates us from, from DC, from our competition is, you know, the Marvel comics, the Marvel characters, this is the world outside your window. We're supposed to be more grounded and realistic, and all of our stories take place in real cities, so why don't we really double down on that premise and use that as a launching pad? And so what they did was... There was all this fanfare, all this hype around this new imprint that was separate, set aside from the Marvel Universe. It was its own thing. You can kind of think of it the same way um, as the Ultimate Universe was done, you know, in the early 2000s. And it was called the New Universe. And (laughs) it was going to have like, uh, yeah, it was going to have like a lot of. Um, money behind it. It was going to have like pretty high profile creators. I mean, they were going to go all out on this thing. And then, um, you know, the financial hammer dropped, turned out, I guess, 1986 wasn't as great a year as, as maybe uh, the parent company would have hoped. And not, not to say Marvel wasn't still making money hand over fist, but (laughs) suffice to say uh, budgets were cut. And they were left with like no money whatsoever to do this imprint that they had now solicited uh, eight, I believe, eight new ongoing titles. Um, wow. You know, with a real commitment that, you know, this is going to be great. This is going to be mind blowing. There's going to be comics like you never seen them. And it's like, oh, shit. Now we've got we've got to pick up the scraps here and hope guys are going <laughs> to work for free until we can actually pay them. And uh, we're not going to get the best creators we're not going to get the best talent we're going to get who we have available basically (laughs) and they uh they ended up canceling um a lot of ongoing books at the time uh things like i want to say power man and iron fist and new defenders um kind of lower tier lower selling ongoing marvel books they ended up canceling because they needed to free up the resources to do this thing that they had promised and now no one wanted to do. (laughs) And so the idea of the new universe was, um, there was a, a cosmic event. It was called, uh, the white, the white event, I think where like the, 
the earth gets bathed in this white light and some people come out of it with um, superpowers, essentially. And beyond that, that's the only supernatural phenomenon that takes place in this universe. It just, everything kind of goes from there. The people who who have their powers are going to be your established characters that we follow and and the conflicts, um, the conflicts that take place throughout, uh, you know, their histories from that point on. And uh, it was set like, again, basically in our world. So I want to say like, Pittsburgh was a well. Pittsburgh was a big setting because that's where Jim Shooter was actually from. The Enema of America. Yeah. <laughs> well, they actually later later on down the line they end up basically nuking Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's, it becomes a giant sinking crater. <laughs> so, in a roundabout way, it does become America's enema. Uh, where you put the uh, enema in America? Oh, but this is titles, they have names like Starbrand and Justice and DP7. Uh, don't ask me what that stands for. It's Cy Ford. You know, and everyone knows. Nightmask and uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. All these very so bizarre names. This sounds like a shitty CW show. Or hell, I'm going to say a shitty USA show in the early 2000s that they would make and then just burn off on Fridays. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It reminded me, um, some of these titles, I mean, there were even some bad 90s um, superhero shows, like on UPN. I'm thinking of stuff like Nightman. I mean, we're based on actual properties, but very, like, lower tier sort of properties. Um, There's a show called Nightman. There's a show called uh, Mantis on Fox, which that was an original kind of just for television superhero, but that's the sort of thing that the new universe makes me think of. Um, But anyway, all that is to say, uh, it did not, um, (laughs) it did did not make the impact that Marvel, at least not in a positive direction. Like there are just tons of creative upheavals behind the scenes. Nobody would stay on, on these books for any length of time. So there, it was a real. They had a real start-stop quality to them, um, and I don't know. I I sort of think we should maybe uh, do New Universe Month, where we just read like the first issue of each of those. I'm down. That sounds that's, that sounds amazing. Just to see how amazingly good or bad those series. Well, are. I will say if the art's anything like the shitty art I had to see here, um, it's probably not going to be good. Well, yeah, that is um, that is something. Like speaking of the art, I mean, we should get in the creative team on this series. GI Joe and the Transformers. Uh, I mean, rock solid for all all four issues. We get writer Michael Higgins, uh, penciler Herb Trimpey, um, who you're not a fan of, Schiff. Inkers, uh, no, Vince Coletta, letter Joe mm-hmm. Rosen, colorist uh, Nell Yamtov. Editor, uh, editors Don Daly and future uh, X Men line editor and Marvel in chief editor overall editor in chief Bob Harris. Um, so that's going to be your team for all four issues. I can tell you, I am not real familiar with 
Michael Higgins as a writer. When I look at his credits, he was primarily a letterer of all things um, for Marvel Comics, and this was this looks to be his first written work for them. Um, other than this, he's done like issues of Marvel Comics Presents. He did some Conan. He did some Power Pack again, Sean's favorite series, like later in its run. Um, but that's about it. Not a huge resume from as a writer, anyway. Much more prominent as a as a letterer um, as Michael Higgins, penciler Herb Trimpey. I mean, he's kind of a a real journeyman artist, like going dating back to the '60s for Marvel. He did a lot of westerns. Um, in the late '60s, he uh, really cut his teeth on Hulk, Incredible Hulk comics. Um, had a long, I mean, long time run as the primary artist on Incredible Hulk. I think, I guess you could say his claim to fame is uh, being the artist for Wolverine's first appearance. Um, he's not generally considered a co-creator of Wolverine, but he did uh, illustrate his first appearance, so that's not for nothing. Um, but yeah, he's just one of those guys who was a long time, like contract employee for Marvel who was just always scrounging for work. And I guess they threw him a bone with this, uh, this limited series. Uh, Sean, did you have any thoughts on the new universe, by the way, before we, before we move on? Because I tried to describe it as best I could. And, uh, I don't know, you maybe have read more of that stuff than I have. If you're uh, back with uh, us, can you can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we we cover right. for you well, pal. So, uh, thank you. Sorry, my internet went out and it's very shoddy, so I apologize. So, uh, I did. I was excited because I was part of their 25th anniversary. I actually read what was it, Merc? I don't know if you remember that series. Oh yeah, about... Merc. I don't think I mentioned that one. Yep. No, no yeah, you did so not. I, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I read Merc because. I was like, oh, cool. This is a guy who's like a bounty hunter for money or whatever for Vietnam War. He's like the Punisher almost. Mm. And it, it was butt. The whole thing was butt. But it did give a, <laughs> I mean, it did, but it did give a star brand that to this day star brand is yeah. still a part of the Marvel because Hick, Hickman in his Avengers run made star brand a very big deal. And I hated star brand, by the way, which may, maybe that explains why I hate Hickman so much. But well, uh, it was overall very, very bad. It was so bad. Kickers Inc. Uh, the football players. I mean, the whole thing was just awful. Um, yes. And a big bomb. It tanked. It was a great idea in theory, but in execution, it was really, really bad. Did Do you think that you hated uh, Starbrand as much as uh, John Byrne, who later wrote Starbrand, and also hated Jim Shooter so much that he nuked uh, Jim Shooter's hometown of uh, Pittsburgh um, by blowing yes, a giant yes, hole yes, through, the, yes, through the earth? <laughs> yeah um all right so and, and i propose that we we do a uh, a new universe episode where we look at the first issue of all of those titles um for I'll, i would i'll say, have to go back and do some research on the universe to see where a good starting point and jumping off point is so we don't have to read the whole fucking thing i'm gonna say <laughs> issue one of every title <laughs> that probably makes sense yeah we'll look <laughs> um I randomly have an issue of Justice that's written by uh, Peter David. It's like issue eight, and they had already been through like probably three or four different writers and three or four different premises as far as what is this even supposed to be about by issue eight. Hey, 
Hey, Tim, real quick, the artist you were just talking about. What was his name? Herb Trimpey. Herb Trimpey. All right, so did you, and I must have missed it. Did you talk about how he used to write all the, like, romance shit for, like, Charleston and all the, like, early on things? Like, remember the old romance ones where you would get the covers and he would write, like, you would get these old comics oh, where yeah. you would have, uh, I mean, old, just uh, a really bad romance. Yes. The guy was born in 1923, and I used to buy some of those comics when I was younger. They are so bad. Like, yeah, I can't tell you how bad those comics are. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of that, like, pre-superhero revival, right, where you had westerns, you had romance, you had yes. funny animals, you had giant monsters, a lot of science fiction anthologies. Um, so, you had war comics uh, that, you know... It, just an eclectic uh, mix of genres before superheroes really took over everything. So, Offset, it doesn't surprise me that he wrote this comic. <laughs> so, Michael, well, Michael Higgins was the guy who wrote it. He was primarily a letterer um, yes, for, for Marvel, weirdly enough. So, yeah, but I mean, his his career as a letterer was quite prolific, actually. So, I don't know, not for nothing. So uh, going back, um, I looked up the new universe and uh, Jim Shooter. He was calling yes. it uh, the Shooterverse. I guess he the thought Shooterverse. Yeah. They said like he, I guess he's wanting to be Stanley. I'm gonna read these two paragraphs. Thank you, uh, ComicBookCBR.com. Eleven sure. reasons why it failed. He not uh, he being a uh, Jim Shooter not only initiated the new universe project and stayed with it for a long time, but personally wrote the first seven issues of the flagship title Starbrand. He made yep. Starbrand largely autobiographical, basing the main character Ken Connell's appearance in oh, hometown God. of Pittsburgh on himself. He even based Connell's girlfriend, Debbie the Duck, on one of his old girlfriends. That's not fucking weird. But oh, Shooter's wow. reputation didn't exactly help the project. He was hated by many people inside Marvel. After he was fired... Marvel artist and writer John Byrne held a party at his house where disgruntled employees literally burned Shooter in effigy, stuffing oh, that's the dummy right. yeah. with unsold they him in effigy. Yep. <laughs> with unsold New Universe comic books. Byrne also used Starbrand to destroy Shooter's beloved Pittsburgh. It's <laughs> amazing. All right, I'm glad I remembered that, that as well as I did. <laughs> yeah, if I Jim remember, Shooter Starbrand and Shooter yeah. had a. Yeah, bowl cut, if I remember correctly. Is that correct? I think um, it appears. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. I think that's what I thought. I mean, yep. I want to say the guy in Starbrand, Ken, Ken Connell, or whatever that character's name, I think he was a blonde, but he definitely had that bowl cut that Shooter had. Who correct. Shooter was so everything Shift just said made total sense to me in what he just said. That's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Shooter did write on occasion. Like, he wrote Secret Wars. Um, and it's one of those things where, again, because they didn't have the money for it, I think he kind of felt like he had to do it himself because he couldn't really ask someone to step up. But it also, I mean, that was a series that the star brand, like this ultra powerful object that, you know, gives you godlike abilities. Um, th that's a concept that he, that Jim Shooter just loves. It's one of his just pet concepts that he just goes back to over and over with uh i mean he did that with michael korvac remember the korvac saga i mean the beyonder is one of those characters um the molecule man is one of those characters where it's like he likes to give ordinary people um godhood 
and uh, and explore the ramifications of that. He just goes back to that well over and over. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get why it's a completely tied to Jim Shooter. Um, but anyway, he's he's a very interesting and divisive figure in comics. So, and I think this creative team, and I, and I I'm gonna try to segue here into what we're gonna be talking about. This creative team of, of Michael Higgins, Herb Trimpey, I mean, inker Vince Coletta, again, a guy who goes back to the 60s, a Jack Kirby inker, for God's sake, right? I think this is indicative of how Shooter sort of managed um, the staff of Marvel Comics, for better or worse. Like, there were a few names in the 80s that you could consider genuine, like, superstars. Like, John Byrne would have been one of them. Chris Claremont was another, um, Frank Miller and probably like Walter Simonson, right. Um, in terms of guys associated with, um, pretty historic runs on Marvel characters and shooter tended not to mess with those guys too much other than burn who, you know, did what he did. Um, Everybody else, I think, was treated as sort of an interchangeable commodity. And it's like, look, you're not going to be, you're not selling this project. The The concept is what's selling it. So G.I. Joe, huge seller for us. Transformers, huge seller for us. Are we going to get Larry Hama to do it? No, he's too busy writing Transform- writing G.I. Joe and making money for us. Are we going to get Bob Budiansky to do it? No, he's too busy making money on Transformers. We'll just get whoever, and the fact that it's this high-concept G.I. Joe Transformers miniseries is what's going to sell it. So we can just get literally anybody who's not busy um, or not already tied up <laughs> doing New Universe, because <laughs> I'm frankly a little bit surprised this thing was even published, given how much they were scrambling to get those New Universe books on the schedule. So, I don't know. Maybe this had already been budgeted for and approved and scheduled, whatever. But um, I think his approach to the creative team was was very telling of that managerial style, where it's just, get anybody, it's going to make us money, it's going to be like printing money, we don't need a name artist, we don't need a name writer, you'll do. Well, um, well and they didn't have a budget, like for New Universe, they didn't have a budget, that's why Shooter had to write. Yeah, that's what I was describing earlier. Um, They they thought they had a budget, and then it got cut. So they they really... So that leads us to probably why we have these writers for this. I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, So let's get into it. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where to even start? Uh, So, okay. We, we, we should mention that this is, like, set within the world of the ongoing G.I. Joe and Transformers comics. Like, there's actually a footnote to G.I. Joe number 50 and, like, another footnote to Transformers number 23 in the first issue of this. Like, there's a, there's a reference to the Springfield incident, which I gather was some big G.I. Joe story. Um... So this is like set within the ongoing worlds of of both of these uh, franchises in the comics. Um, I do have some questions already, though, about our choice of characters. Um, 
these Joes, uh, I have to say, are not guys I'm overly familiar with. I mean, we talked about Hawk. Um, Mutt and his dog Junkyard um, are in our first issue. We get Roadblock. We get Beachhead, Scarlet, Snake Eyes. Okay. But then it's sort of, I feel like it's a sharp drop-off from there, where it's more like the G.I. Jobbers, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll I'll throw it to the fans of uh, of of Joe here. Are there other characters from GI Joe that maybe you were hoping to see that maybe would have made better choices or or could have represented the team better than than what we got for these four issues? Andy, I mean, what do you think? Andy, I'll let you roll with this one. Yeah, let me Andy roll well, with that one. <laughs> I, I was happy to see Mutt and Junkyard because they were pretty present. There was a thing where. There was a whole bunch of characters that had pets in G.I. Mm-hmm. Joe. You had, you know, Mutt with Junkyard. You had uh, Snake Eyes, actually had a wolf named Timber. Oh, was, okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Was it? Hey, was don't, it, don't laugh at Timber. That was, he was badass. Timber yeah. will fuck you up. Um, and yeah, then there was... What Who was, had the parrot? Was that shipwreck? Shipwreck, shipwreck had the parrot. Yeah, that was that was shipwreck. Now was that yep. was it was it spirit was the Indian tracker guy and freedom was the yes, eagle. Yes, spe- yes, yes, correct. Spirit had so the yeah, eagle. eagle yeah, was, was not the first, uh, you yep. know, eagle in the car. But um, I was happy to see him. You be- you don't get a lot of Scarlet or Lady J. No. You know, or in this. snake eyes really. No, no snake eyes really. Roadblock a little bit. Um, and then that's pretty much it. I mean, Beachhead was around somewhat, um, Stalker, I see Stalker makes an appearance, not, you know, I don't even know if they name him, but I'd recognize them in the panel. Stalker? Who was the main one, who was the main one that, oh, not the spoiler alert, that took on the role of what they had to do with Bumblebee as we went through the, that who was main, that one? That, that was Mainframe, who okay, I don't, the, I did not remember him. I was gonna say yeah, yeah. he's I kind mean, of the I, MVP I of this whole thing. Well, and that's what I'm saying. When you talk about random GI Joe jobbers, Mainframe would be in the top of the list. Yeah, I'm like way. who the hell is Mainframe? And he's like I the, the remember most Dial competent a bit. member. I, I would actually argue that it feels like the GI Joes are more like not even secondary characters. I guess like third, like background yeah. characters in this. It definitely felt like more. It was uh, the Transformers and. Uh, 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 yeah, Cobra. I want to say uh, Cobra Kai, but I knew that was a hundred percent wrong. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Cobra because it and it seemed like oh yeah, I guess I guess we got to add the GI Joe somewhere in here. And you well, know, it seemed like Cobra had more of its mainframe players than GI Joe did because well, also, you had yeah yeah. So well, also Cobra. Right, I mean GI Joe's the one that kills Bumblebee. Spoiler which for the first. I kind of was like. That would that would be like a big deal to me as a kid. If I'm like a little kid who, yeah, you know, if I'm well, Andy, it, right, it in 1986, yeah. and watching these shows every day, and you know, 13, like okay. let let's say I'm even a comics reader. Well, uh, okay, we'll say I'm a little bit younger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm watching the shows every day. I'm, I'm reading like various comics, including Transformers and GI Joe, and in the first issue of the big team-up series at least what what you go in thinking is going to be a team-up series the joes fucking blow up bumblebee like blow him apart to the to the 
degree that, okay, you think this character is dead now? It's like, I mean, I get that he's a robot, but, um, a robot in disguise, if you will. Uh, but I mean, that would be a big deal for a little kid, right? That's that's killing off like your, uh, the closest you can get to an audience surrogate in GI Joe and Transformers. Like Bumblebee was the kid. He was, uh, uh, he was the, he was the one, I mean, they tried to replicate a little bit with Sam in, in the movie, but it was Bumblebee's relationship with, with, the, with the humans that really was the heart of, of uh, Transformers. And, and, so and it's Andy, like uh, picking up an X-Men comic and they killed Jubilee in the first issue or whatever. Like, well, listen, I, listen I, I did not read this comic back in the day, and I was legit stunned. When they destroyed Bumblebee. Now it made sense based on him being this big, huge, giant robot that was impacting the security of this big weapon or whatever the fuck it was. But it stunned me. Like I read, I'm like, holy shit, they just killed Bumblebee. That's a big yeah. event. To your point, Tim, it was huge. It was huge. Blew him to pieces. It was yeah. huge. Shift. What were you gonna say, Shift? Yeah. So in the movies, which is where I'm familiar with Bumblebee, he only talks through music. That's is not that the case. No. okay? Because when that he was, was talking, that was, about that, was, this. that was a Michael Bay edition. I'm, I'm, I'm getting here. I'm hearing you know. the disdain in your voice. That, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. Andy just went Valley Girl. Like, on so, us. in the cartoon, <laughs> his best friend was human. His name was Spike. Yes. So Spike and him were buddies, and that was his whole thing. Like he was best friends with a human in the cartoon. So there's some uh, precedent for him wanting to protect, defend human life, which is how he gets himself blown apart. Look, I kind of like the way that they do it, which is it's a classic case of mistaken identity, uh, misread intentions, right? When two Mm -hmm. different teams are meeting for the first time, it's it's always going to lead to that obligatory fight just to give you some conflict, just to give you some action, especially in a comic. You know where you're. You're always jonesing for some action each with each page turn. Um, it's very satisfying on that level. But um, here, yeah, I mean the Joes. Just, uh, and Hawk even describes it himself. He's sort of he's sort of beating himself up after the fact, saying he had his, a, a shoot first, ask questions later <laughs> approach, and just killed this uh, this sentient robot. <laughs> Um, which they learn about later, well, I guess. But Tim, um, uh-huh. to be fair, he was he was blinded by love. Let's be, you know, let's this is true. He was here. well, yes, blinded by <laughs> his love for. Okay, here's here's my here's one of my many questions I'm going to have. Um, so we meet some uh, civilian characters in this series uh, very early on: Senators Garcia and uh, Senator Barbara Larkin. Um, now had they appeared to your knowledge previously, Andy or, or Sean, I, I feel like I've, you got, you got me like they, the, the, the civilians in GI Joe were not memorable to me. Yeah. At least yeah, I, you, I can't pinpoint really what the whole purpose of it was with that kid, with the exception of the, the Septagon implant in his brain. I don't really know what the point was. He was a DSS Machina for the story, basically. Man, fuck that well, little kid. Yeah, well, yeah, and it was sort of, um, I don't know, I, I think that, uh, I don't know what 
writer Michael Higgins was exactly going for there, but, but I sort of but feel they like the there's... Body. They shaved his head. They, like, yeah, they did full-on brain surgery. It's, it's, well, it's like, okay, it's I think he's trying to set up like this very like sort of grounded, sort of domestic story that you know tugs at the heartstrings or not that's that's taking place alongside this very grandiose bombastic battle between these two factions and it's like i think as as readers you're sitting there questioning well why do i care about this stupid mother-son drama thing um and well and it turns out that the device that they pull out of this kid's head um that was so carelessly left there when the uh he was i guess the decepticons uh remotely took control of him right to put him in harm's way and it it left that weird um yeah for them to get this yeah and they were very like they were just very callous about it like they're very callous and very careless in how they went about that because the fact that they you know didn't clean up after themselves meant that once this device was removed it proved to be like their undoing right like you could fiddle with it and it would cause all kinds of yeah problems for the the uh who was it bomb bombshell the decepticons well the insecticons were not always the most reliable of of henchmen for the decepticons in the cartoon they they often did not get the job done uh so So they sucked yeah, they kind. Of, I I was never a big Insecticon fan. It kind of blew my mind, like how they could transform so tiny from like being a giant ass robot to being an insect. That 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 didn't compute with my my brain back then. But if I could just get back yeah. to to the earlier question about what GI Joes I wanted to see. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I would love to have seen Bazooka. He was always a fun. Like he was like a you know he had a football jersey on, was a comic relief guy. You know, we have some scenes in the water. We don't get Deep Six. We don't get Cutter, who was the um, – I have a special thing for Cutter because I actually – the biggest G.I. Joe toy, let's say, was the hovercraft. I never got the aircraft carrier. I was not happy about that. But we never got Doc. Um, who else? Uh, Gung-Ho, another one right. of my favorites. Uh-huh. Heavy Metal. Yes. We, we, don't, we don't get him. He, he was uh, – you know, he was really the precursor to Roadblock. I mean, Roadblock had was basically a bigger version of heavy metal with a personality. You know, Outback, uh, actually, no, Rakondo was was who I liked. Uh, Ripcord was another one. Rock and Roll. See, these are all names I recognize. Yeah, I, yeah, no shipwreck. Still couldn't either. tell you much no, about no, them. could have had shipwreck, Cutter, and Deep Six all in that one thing. I mean, Snowjob, even though you know he he was he was pretty present. Uh, Spirit. And, um, you know, Stalker. Torpedo. Stalker was another one of my favorites, too. I don't Stalker, know if you were Razor. Yeah, yes. He, yeah, he was the one. Um, oh, Christ. I'm trying. Now i got to call up this picture here. Uh, Stalker was. What about yeah, we, he was the Green Beret. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, see, we see Stalker for like a second in a panel. That's all. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the thing that's weird, um, in our first issue, we we get brief appearances from Optimus Prime and Megatron, who you would totally expect to see in a Transformers story, <laughs> he, um, he <laughs> obviously. 
And then it's like we're in subsequent issues, we're getting references to their deaths, uh, complete <laughs> with like a funeral scene, sort of, for Optimus Prime. So, again, they're I guess they're trying to incorporate events from uh, the Transformers. We've speculated Transformers the movie or. Maybe they did, I know they did an adaptation of Transformers the movie, Marvel Comics did, and perhaps they did a version, they even maybe did their own version of these character deaths in the ongoing Transformers series. I don't know if that was the same or different from the movie, I couldn't tell you, but point being, they kill off these two prominent characters in a series that is not this one, and it makes for a really, really jarring sort of transition. Um, in a way yeah, that you have like, no leader. No leader. You, yeah, well, you the, would. Yeah, not the Autobots do that. don't have a leader. Decepticons. I totally spaced on the whole shockwave wanting to uh, take over. You know, we all because it was well established about Starscream. And even so, I know that. Yeah. That, and and that is one thing that really made me angry was his design in the Transformers movie. And, his design was and terrible. Tim, and by the way, in the cartoons. Starscream had the same voice as Cobra Commander in the G.I. Joe. Yes, right. yes and I loved it. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. So um, maybe that's why. Maybe they couldn't confuse the two entities because they had the same voice, Andy. Maybe that's what it was in the comics. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. There's there's no, so there's no Starscream except in like, Andy, you said you caught a reference, like in that last issue, he's part yeah. of the aerial battle, we think, um, which I think might just be a mistake. Honestly, they just put the wrong name because why is he not more involved if he's still alive? Yeah. Uh, and the thing it is, it makes no, no sense. Clear number two on the Autobot side until Ultra Magnus comes along. He's really the number two. Who, again, I'm like, where is Hot Rod? Like, isn't yeah. Hot Rod supposed to be the guy who they're, took over? Hot Rod, Hot Rod is not here yet. Though. He's not here yet. Because so. we're doing comics, not movie, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And he's, so, he's Hot Rod for a while until he gets the uh, the Matrix spark or whatever. So it's we called. still we still kill Optimus Prime. We still kill Megatron. We think. We still kill maybe Starscream, unsure, but we don't have Hot Rod yet. We have, uh, and we don't have Galvatron either. So we don't yes, have Galvatron, which, right? Yeah, who becomes which, the new leader? I mean, yeah. yeah, it's it's very, it's the type of thing you would not do if if this series was published today. You would basically just say, okay, this is this is all set either clearly before <laughs> these very pivotal events or clearly after these very pivotal events not being interrupted by <laughs> these yeah, I, events another another omission too is no sound wave sound wave was okay. like the loyal you know lieutenant communications guy that that you know flipped out the coolest cassettes that transform like like laser beak and and ravage who ravages here but that doesn't really get much and laser beak is mentioned in the same panel as uh, Starscream. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, not a lot of um, the, the recognizable are, characters well, you would have. I mean, the Dreadnought's like got, got a lot of shine. It's like, it's like we got G.I. Joe, like, black and white, like, when we did the, you know, 
split off of the NWO or something. <laughs> it's like right, really yeah. It's this is <laughs> yeah, like what yeah. the co- yeah Cobra Black and Silver or something because it's like yeah. You yep. even had Cobra Commander in that first issue, and then he's gone um, later on. So well, it's like holy shit. Well, he suppo- he supposedly was dead too. Him and Destro both. So in this, Destro was dead. He was dead. <laughs> Megatron was but dead. They still they had all died they still had early yes. appearances in those first two issues. Um, yes, but they died so in the middle of the series, all of them. <laughs> all of the leadership, all of the leadership disappears between issues of this, which is, I mean, a major problem. I, I mean, just from a narrative standpoint, that that's a major flaw, right? That, yeah. That's, Wait, again, you, something yeah, you that's, don't do that's with this sort of Granted, thing. Cobra, there wasn't as many named Cobra characters there are, you know, you, you you pretty much they had the the same major players for the most part. Uh, like uh, you had who who's not even in this major blood's not even in this. Uh, right, Doctor Mindbender. We get Baroness, and outside of that, we well, did yeah, get Serpentor. Serpentor. Ah, uh, Serpentor is like hawk to me. Like I thought Serpentor was a he was a caricature. I mean, wait, 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 it's funny. Shift's like, who's this guy with the snake on? And I'm like, that's Serpentor. I said, his origin is they went and they dug up dead dictators and evil genius. By the way, a hell of a, and, and a hell of a DNA and they series, combined though. it to create Serpentor. That was a hell of that was a hell of a cartoon miniseries, though. It that was, was amazing. Yes, it, it was. was. But it's it's <laughs> trying to explain. Yeah, so that he's like uh, made up of the DNA of like Genghis Khan and. Uh, Exactly. Alexander the Great and, yep. and like yeah. Hitler. Like, I don't like, think they said Hitler, yeah. but he's probably he's, in there. He's um, like the Shazam of Cobra, Tim. <laughs> okay. So he's butt. <laughs> yeah, he's butt. He's butt. Yes. Okay. Um but yeah, so that's that's your Cobra is basically just <laughs> Serpentor and Dr. Mindbender. And that's that's about Baroness is the around she's kind of the most competent member of Cobra in this thing. Yeah. Um Zartan is a little bit well, Zart, now. Zartan's Zart, in it a little Zartan's bit. Zartan's one yeah. of the coolest uh, characters, but he's not in it. Most of his bumbling idiot uh, dreadnoughts are in it. You know, you have Ripper, yep, yep. Uh, Buzzsaw, and, but, and was was that fight the uh, guys on the like the Sons of Anarchy ripoff? Yeah, or, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, they're yeah. like they're Cobra, but not they're more like mercenaries. So they're not full. They're they're bad guys, but they're not full fledged Cobra. So they were like, like the high, yeah, they're like, they were like Zartan's hired help. Right? Yeah, they're like hired guns. I mean, Zarana, who didn't, who wasn't in the show that much, you know, Zartan's sister, she she gets some time in this. Uh, you know, also we don't get um, uh, what's it call it? Uh, eels would have been good in this. Eels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Firefly was another mm-hmm. major one. Raptor, Scrap Iron, mm-hmm. no Storm Shadow at all. Yeah, no Storm Nine. Shadow. That's a big and, one for me. And no Tomax and Zamot, the twins. Yeah, I always hated them, but um, I but yeah, I get that they were. Big I had characters. the <laughs> One well, cartoon, um, they were annoying as shit because they would finish each other's sentences. Yes. And they would talk annoying as oh, shit. God, they were such yep. idiots. Um, yeah. I I sort of like Doctor Mindbender because ever since uh, ever since Arrested Development, I've always pictured him as. Uh, David Cross in light bondage <laughs> gear. Nice. Um, 
so yeah, I, I sort of like that character. Uh, and he, he kind of gets some shine throughout this. Um, and then he actually, he played a very major part in this. He was he, actually he probably has the part biggest part outside of Hawk in the yeah, whole comic, yeah. comics. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, there's one thing that bothered me though, and and I, I like one, the aerial bots. Well, one thing that bothered, but I don't remember Bumblebee basically having, for lack of a better term, body dysmorphia, yeah. <laughs> penis envy of the of the aerial bots, like flying envy. <laughs> like what the hell? Because All they right, were by the way. He's not Bumblebee anymore. Well, no, All he right. talks about he, no when he's when he's bitching and moaning about not being able to fly like the Aerobots. He's still Bumblebee. Oh he is. well, um, I forgot about that. Gets, that's another question I have. So Bumblebee, <laughs> after he gets destroyed and rebuilt, oh, decides God. that he, he is over. Listen, he he is now over his his uh, his body dysmorphia where he wishes he was an aerial bot he's not but he has been upgraded apparently throughout the process of being rebuilt uh i will say there's a very very effective um i thought maybe y'all thought it was corny but i thought it was a very effective comedy scene where the joes are working on trying to rebuild uh mainframe and they think they've done a pretty good job Oh, and then he's all jacked up, right? And yeah. the actual, like, Transformers doctor, Dr. Ratchet or whoever comes in and is like, oh, you actually, you were able to save him. Oh, my God, I'm so grateful. He's he's actually a, a dear friend of mine. Where is he? And then we get the reveal of what they've done, and he just looks like shit. What have you done to my boy? <laughs> They're just like, oh. And I just remember the line. He goes, well, there's a certain logic to what you've done here, but it's going to need some, uh, and I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that line for me. Next time somebody really fucks up at work, I'm going to go, there's a certain logic to what you did, but I can't find <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, they need a wheel jack actually to, to do the fix in here. Ratchet was, I, was, was like their medical guy. Ratchet was there like their expert. Who could like I see. Know, build shit. So hey, another... hey, also Sergeant Slaughter showed up in episode two. Sorry, I know we're jumping around. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Lois yeah, Slaughter becomes a full edged Joe with his renegades. There you go. He does. He, they're like they're like the uh the, the baby face version He's, of the dreadnoughts. So Sergeant Slaughter's a big part of G.I. Joe the movie. He is yes. like one of the main centerpieces of the actual cartoon movie. Oh wow, I did yeah. not know that. And yeah. you know, Rocky Balboa actually is, is listed in the order of battle too, by the way. But anyway, anyway, let's get back to the rebuilt Bumblebee. <laughs> so, all right, yeah. So the rebuilt Bumblebee, once once uh, Ratchet has has fixed and improved on the work that uh, the Joes have done, um, decides he wants to be known as Gold. He says he wants a more dignified name than Bumblebee, right? Um, so he decides that that more dignified name is Goldbug. Uh, gold this, bug i know tim is this something that was done in any of the uh, other appearances uh, like is this a from I, the cartoons at all or i had zero point zero recollection of this whole gold bug. like i legit my jaw dropped when i saw that no okay. No context whatsoever. Andy, I don't know about you, but I remember none of that. I don't know if it happened like in the movie when they were kind of like moving to the new guard and they wanted to keep Bumblebee around. 
Yeah, I ne- never in the history of the comics or the animated series do I remember this, Tim, ever. It no. just, all right, I'll just say that it just seems to me that you don't change the name of a licensed character unless the order has come down from the actual license holder. Hey, we're changing the name of this guy. Can you please work it into your comic or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But if Hasbro didn't actually do that, then, um, boy, this is Michael Higgins taking some liberties, huh? I mean, well, because I don't think you're supposed to be able to do that. Um, I'm more astonished so, that Gold, Goldberg ripped his name off from the Transformers comic books. That's what I'm more astonished at right now. Goldbug. Goldbug. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Goldberg the wrestler ripped his name off from Goldbug. I'm very astonished that. at that. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> In any case, um, so I like the idea also that, um, you know, we start with G.I.J. where we get the introduction of uh, the senators and the we'll talk about the romance um, with Senator Larkin and, and General Abernathy. Um, but they're, they're basically protecting this what they, they keep referring to it as a power station. And from what I gather, what they've actually done is uh, the humans have created a transformer, <laughs> not a not an intelligent transformer, but a transformer nonetheless that does all these cool whiz bang things, uh, and is going to be like this, you know, uh, I the guess. Alpha. Yeah, and they start calling it the Alpha about ha- halfway through the series, which okay, fine. Um, but it's like, I, I guess it's doing like the 80s version of renewable energy type stuff, but it's also um, portable. Like you can use it in different environments and it, it, it can fly, it can swim, it can do all this, it can bore through rock, it can do all this cool stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. But I think they made a mistake in not really establishing what this thing was until about, I don't know, the last issue. <laughs> uh, well. Because I mean, we really know that it's important. It, like we a know drill? that it's a MacGuffin. Right? It drilled to the center of the Earth. Like, I was so lost at what it really was. It flew. It was a jet. Yeah. It drilled. I don't know. <laughs> and, it, I mean, I guess they got the point across that. And it's at the end of the day, it is a MacGuffin. It's just something that the various different factions are chasing after that they want for their own ends. And I, I can appreciate that. But, um... I think we could have gotten a little bit more background on this thing, maybe from the jump, um, instead of figuring it out as we went. Uh, but the Decepticons, they want this thing, Alpha, the portable mobile power station, because they're going to use it to strip mine the Earth of all of its resources, <laughs> which will destroy the Earth, and that's of no consequence to them. That's, I'm fine with that. Which we see uh, in a really, really bad drawn panel in one of the, one of the, uh, in one oh of the, oh yeah, uh, like issues. the, the, yes. kind of the, the flash forward of what this yes. would look like sort of deal. Yeah. And, and by the way, the use, art, this is terrible. The art in this series is absolutely I don't think it's terrible. terrible. Oh, I, you know what it is? So it's, I think it's no, awful. it's, it's very workmanlike <laughs> is what it is. It's. It, I mean, that's what you got when you weren't when you were a house artist for a major publisher. Uh, you weren't a superstar. You were just a a monthly, you know, on on the payroll artist, you know, 
doing your craft. You, it was not like this was ever meant to be held up as, you know, something that uh, we're going to say, oh, uh, this belongs in a museum someday, right? Like, it's just, it All is right. what it is. It gets there, it gets the job. I think there's a, there's a difference. I think there's a difference between this and terrible, right? Like, all right. It's not like this is unclear. It's not like you can't follow it. It's not like anyone's especially badly rendered. It's just, it's very no frills, right? Okay. I'll agree to disagree. I did not think the art was great. You think it's, you really think it's terrible? I think it was worse than Cap Wolf, and I thought Cap Wolf was pretty bad. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think it's worse than that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah the, I, I think this was the worst thing we've read so far. I know we have a small sample size, but like. Well, it, I, <laughs> no, I was talking Charles about the actual, I was talking about the art. I was talking about the art. Oh, well. Yeah, I was talking about the art. I'm saying both. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, Jeff, I mean, look. It's, calm down, Jeff. It's four to it's four to eight panels a page. That's all you're gonna get. There's no real experimentation. There's no innovation going on. But look, I'm cashing checks. <laughs> I'm just trying to beat my deadlines, but, get this shit done. But Tim, to your <laughs> I point, got a lot of characters to draw. Yeah, no, that's where I was gonna go next. To your point, there's a lot to draw. You got to draw a lot of robots. You got to draw a lot of planes. You got to draw yeah. a lot of characters. You got to draw a lot of shit you, that doesn't even exist. You got like, a romance is... to draw. There's a lot to draw. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do action. I got to do romance. I got to do different environments. Like, come on. Like, I, I just it. think Herb Trimpey deserves a little bit of credit. It's, All right. you know, All right. no, it's not Give flashy. It's, All right. It's, you got me. You got me. You sold they, me. Maybe they killed you off characters because they didn't want to draw them. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, well, wait. Let's, well, let's wait till we get to the romance to talk about that great fucking ending. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I Probably no better time than to talk about... Uh, so there, there is a, a romantic subplot that runs throughout this between Senator Larkin and uh, General Abernathy Hawk. Um, Hawk is I, a I guess smashing. They're trying, to, they're trying to humanize this character Hawk a little bit, I guess. Um, which I don't know how effective that is. He kind of, I don't know. He just, he seems like a real jarhead dope basically throughout all of this like he's he's not very impressive right as the leader of the joes he just he doesn't do anything that that makes him come across as oh yeah i see why this guy's in charge right um and so he's romancing the senator uh it's like love at first sight apparently for these two but she turns out to be on the take we get a uh a very intriguing scene where she she sits down for uh a lunch meeting with um, someone who is very obviously the Baroness, who <laughs> does not reveal it until, <laughs> until they get to the dramatic panel where they do reveal it. But it's obviously her. Hey, t- and, hey by the way, guys, when you were reading this, and uh, Andy, I'll ask you, because this is very t- typical of G.I. Joe comics or series. Did you know that she was going to end up being like a, a ringer in the end? Like I knew when I was reading this, I, she was gonna, I totally saw it coming. I, I had no idea. I, okay. I was blown away. Andy, yeah, what about I, you? I thought she was going to be somebody in disguise. Like I thought maybe she could have been the Baroness. A transformer? Yeah, I knew she was going to end up being some kind of Cobra kind of thing. I knew that. I'll put it, I'll put it this way. Or um, it could be Zorana because Zartan was a master of disguise. And so was his oh, brother and well, sister. Well, it would have been very funny if it were Zartan. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, no, but maybe his sister. I mean, she has a very, um, you know, I don't know, Miss, Mrs. Cunningham, Marriott Hartley thing working here, I think. Well, she's kind of hot. I mean, she's drawn very attractive for yeah. a, like, like kind of like leave it to beaver mom hot. I mean, I mean, she's got that look. Kind of hot, hot 80s lady. Sort and, of thing and, and by the way, let's, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that they actually went behind closed doors and insinuated that her and Hawk had sex. I mean, they oh, yeah. did that. nothing wrong. With a little bump and grind. And, 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 and Hawk fell in love with her after, like, one issue. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's some crazy shit going on here. With to the Abra- point that we see him drinking and smoking while thinking about her. And <laughs> he's so lovelorn that he's like, oh, my God. I mean, there is. Plus, we get that scene on, on the cruise ship where we got chicks in bikinis. So there's a... There's a you know, it's not not exactly for for kids. Well, oh. maybe adolescent oh, yeah. boys. The rando it's, Blackstone guy who knew all about the trans. Yeah, who the who fuck was that? I yeah, who was that? Another question I had. I assumed that y'all would tell me who that was. I had sure no was. idea who that was. I, I had, had no zero, idea. Zero idea who that guy. I assume there's some context to who he is, but I have no idea. None. I don't. I don't remember him from the show, <laughs> and I think he's probably from the other GI Joe comics. Yeah, I assume he's probably from Transformers comics. I would assume uh, he's from the Transformers. Oh, okay. I would assume, but I don't know. So I mean, that would that would be my best guess. Um, but anyway, can but yeah, all, all, all that has to say, to this, <laughs> this doesn't do the best job of introducing your your characters to to new readers. It's kind of assumed that you know who all these characters are, and anyone new is well, they're new to this series. I just personally, I don't think I gave this series enough credit for having. Um, the this is gonna sound shitty. The level of sophistication to do the twist that they do with Senator Larkin, where it turns yes. out that she's on the take and she has this secret meeting with the Baroness. I'm like, oh, look at this series actually throwing in a little dramatic twist. I was like, oh, this is more. This but, is like, I just totally didn't. I just figured she was a straightforward Tim, civilian if you character. If you watch yeah. the cartoon, you would probably have more. I would have seen it coming. More, yeah. yeah, you would have saw that coming if you watched the cartoon. It would be well, look at that being being you know with uh, uh, maintaining the integrity, fidelity to the cartoon, whatever, right? What? Yeah. I, yep. What I was really uh, shocked with was when they ended up um, killing her off. <laughs> all right, so all right, so Schiff, way to really like just jump into that. I think we we're building to that, but way to just like spoil it. I'm sorry, <laughs> he's, he's on brand. Well, Schiff. I just it, it does happen very abruptly though, because it's uh it's the type of thing where we don't learn a great deal about her intentions. It seems like she was a well-meaning senator who was trying to do right by uh as she puts it her her home state i don't know we don't we're not told what state she represents do we um i guess it doesn't no. matter but this this project the the alpha <laughs> power station is going to bring in a lot of money going to bring in a lot of jobs a lot of money um but but she has sold out to cobra and she has overlooked all of the, the red flags associated with this project. And um, ultimately, it seems like she thinks that Cobra are just going to destroy this thing. And that's why the Dreadnoughts are there 
in the first issue when they're when they're doing the the launch of the thing, right? When they're doing the test and they've got all the protesters. It seems like she knows and she's expecting them uh, to act at that point. And she thinks they're just going to destroy it when really, I think Cobra is more like, no, we're going to steal it and use it for ourselves. And, you know, um, but but she thinks that they're just like eco-terrorists or something. And it's like, well, if it gets destroyed, doesn't matter. At least it brought in the jobs and the money that it did for the time that it did. And I'm none the wiser, right? Um, I think that's what the idea behind her, uh, you know, kind of selling out to Cobra is. And they're, they're going to double cross her, but we just never get to that. <laughs> because in the end, we find out she is considered... Um, she is considered a loose end, in fact. And uh, before Hawk even has a, a chance to confront her over her treachery, which uh, was exposed to him earlier in the book, um, she just gets straight up assassinated. <laughs> the last scene, like out of the blue, like like stunningly, like yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, we get we get a couple panels through the perspective of like a sniper's scope. Um, <laughs> And next thing you know, blammo, she's she's gone. And, uh, I, you know, we don't know who pulled the trigger, presumably just someone for Cobra. <laughs> but they say at the Baroness's behalf. Which was weird. Like, they said, like, he did it in the comic. And I was like, did Hawk shoot this woman? Right, yeah. The reaction was kind of confused, I thought, also. Um, but I don't think they were trying to imply that hawk or, or one of the joes or somebody did it shit maybe uh but i mean they, we do get the reveal of you know the baroness commenting on well that's one loose end resolved so i mean that has to tell us that she was behind it right yeah but yeah very abrupt uh very violent for this sort of thing um i guess <laughs> that's not the type of thing you would have seen in the cartoon nope not at all. <laughs> but it was, but in all fairness, it was a fantastic ending. Like it was. It all yeah. I didn't really see it coming. Payoff. No, it's great payoff for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, just this, this, uh, these four issues have tons of issues. I, I will grant you that. But as somebody who, um, you know, again, doesn't really know these characters, doesn't really know the tropes of, of this, these different, um, uh, at least cartoon universes. Um, I didn't find it especially hard to follow. Honestly, I had an easier time just following along with this than I did, you know, our, our, uh, our last episode with Superman and Batman. <laughs> um, just in terms of the plot of, of that, of those five issues, which, you know, time travel convoluted, nonsense this was at least pretty straightforward um Mm -hmm. even though like yeah i had a lot of questions uh, i knew i would have a lot of questions and i knew that this wasn't going to be like the most accessible thing to a a new reader it's it's expected that you're going to know these characters because why the hell else are you in the market for a gi joe transformers team up right um so as somebody who was, who's, I would say, like a novice to this, I didn't really have a hard time with it. I thought, again, it surprised me in some ways, like I, the whole, the 
kid with the device in his brain and his mom who's fretting and worried and uh, how they how that sort of plays out alongside this uh, the, these battles between robots and and uh, paramilitary forces is, I don't know I sort of like how they how that was set up even though it's a bit clumsy I it got the idea across it, it, it got the theme of you know sometimes the thing you that is the furthest thing from your from your mind um, that you're maybe a little bit careless about is going to be your undoing you know um, and I like that ending too with I mean, this the senator being assassinated just out of nowhere, and that's that's well, the beat that we're left on. Well, and, well, you know, and a broken-hearted hawk, and a broken-hearted hawk at her gravesite is how they and the broken-hearted hawk. Yes, <laughs> yes. Is, yes. I'm not exactly sold on this romance, but you know, it's it's there. I mean, mm-hmm. it at least gives this this character some dimensionality that he that he didn't have before. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm not saying this was good or that I'd recommend it, but it surprised me. I'll put it that way. It, it surprised me in ways I, you know, I the bad things are like were going to be the obvious bad things from the outset. I think. Um, well, and it's largely structural, right? Because of all of the leadership for you know the decepticons the autobots cobra all of their leaders just disappear between issues which is really just something you don't do and, but and um, the one thing and the one thing to wrap it all up is we didn't actually talk about is that gi joe the decepticons and i'm sorry gi joe cobra and the autobots all team up to defeat the decepticons so it's all like yeah. they all they all team up to go after one which was i thought was also cool that they did that that yeah. was cool so <clears throat> so there is some cool aspects to it the execution could have been better it was a little wonky but again tim as you talk through it it's kind of like in that first episode of catwolf you've got me sold a little bit more on it than i was when i came into it so Part of Tim's art form and hosting this thing. That's one of the things you do really well with this. So, well done. You've done it. You managed to do it to me one more time. <laughs> Meanwhile, all Schiff wow. is saying, the best part was it was only four issues. The best yeah. part was she died in the end. That's what Schiff said. I mean, not wrong. It was like, the, uh, le- legit. Well, no, it's my- not wrong. It is legit the best part of the whole series. That ending came out of nowhere. But, yeah. Yeah, so, I try to do notes when I write this, when I do this stuff, so I can, um, you know, just have some stuff to think about when I do. I literally, like, got so bored. I was like, first issue, Bumblebee killed. Second issue, Sergeant Slaughter shows up. Office (laughs) Prime has been assassinated. That's a takeaway. (laughs) (laughs) And also, Optimus Prime has been assassinated. Did I miss that? And then Senator Larkin and Hawk fuck. And then my last note is, this shit sucks. So I stopped taking notes halfway through issue two. Oh, shift. Never stop shifting. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Never stop shifting. (laughs) I mean... I'm not going to try to make you like something that you clearly hate. Uh, you know, there's there's things that just it's not going to happen, speak, right? Like, there's been sure. comics like that I've read that I thought would speak, like you know, that I didn't think I would enjoy, but then I was like, oh my god, blown away with it. But with this, like, I was just like, I'm glad I read it because it's like you know, I never would have read a Transformer or GI Joe comic, but 
now I can be like, I'm done with this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> now I, you never you know will what? again. But you know what? To be fair, this is not a true Transformers G.I. Joe. It's not a true representation of what those comics are, to be honest. This is a clear cast grab because of what they are. If you were going to go back and read the original comics, they're much more involved, much more character-driven than what you're reading in this. So let's just be clear. So yeah, I, I think there's think a, a positive. Yeah. Go ahead. You think it's a positive or a negative uh, having the knowledge of the canon of both of these, like Sean and I going in? Do you think, you know, because one thing that that was derailing me at times was was me getting angry about lack of characters or or why is this character uh, included? That that was that was what. Uh, my, it's a neg- it's a neg- it's a negative, Andy, because. Yeah. Like for me, like I read the G.I. Joe comics, like there, like there is some great character driven comics of G.I. Joe in those early days that that I read that were before this limited series that just totally made me go, God damn, this is fucking bullshit. Like <laughs> and so it is it definitely is it, it definitely does suck. It, it, but if you just go into a vacuum and just read it, if you know nothing about it, maybe you can enjoy it a little bit better. But it did, Which is it probably why it. Tim liked it probably a little more. Yeah, he, he got, yeah. He got to, I, I would agree. He got to play uh, my part a little bit on this episode. Yeah, a little exactly. bit. Yeah. Great point. Exactly. Great point. Great point. Um, I, I'm going to say it's a little bit of a <laughs> a double edged sword. Where yes, it's going to be a negative if you go in having uh, an expert level of knowledge about both of these properties. Um, because you're going to come away disappointed, right? And I, and I know that. Um, I've said many times when it comes to, like, the mainstream Marvel Universe characters and a lot of the, the MCU uh, translations and, and films, I definitely think it's to my detriment sometimes that I'm, like, too close to these characters, right? I've said that, especially when it comes to, like, X-Men, um, I'm always going to be very, very, very hard on like any X-Men film because I'm coming from that place of just being a real deep seated fan. Um, now I also would like to think that, and, and I'll, <laughs> to your credit, Andy and, and Sean as well, it probably gives you more of an, an informed opinion <laughs> than somebody like me. Who's just, you know, ignorance is bliss. Right. And, uh, I don't know what I don't know, but, but you guys, like, I, I think hearing it from you, like, no, listen, this is why this doesn't work. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like I didn't have that information. Like I, I don't know these characters. So yeah, when you present it through that lens, uh, it, it makes a lot more sense where you're coming from and, and why you're as critical as you are. Um, so I get it totally, but I, I definitely do like being, um, being more in the passenger seat, so to speak, for a change uh, when it comes to just not knowing this stuff very well um, and just enjoying the ride. So I I do think that there is um, a version of this story that is much, much better in execution. Like if you had gotten one of the regular writers, like if you'd gotten Larry Hama to write this, and said, you know, look, do it the way you want to do it, but here are the the beats that you have to hit, because at the end of the day, there are things that people are going to want to see. There are boxes we have to check, but 
However you want to get there is up to you. Um, here's four issues, or here's here's even six issues. Right, this could actually be even a longer a longer form story because you have so many characters involved. And in the hands of um, somebody who knows these characters in and out and has created a lot of these characters for that matter, I think he could have something really special. But as it stands, uh, to your point, Sean, yeah, probably just a cash grab. That um, mm-hmm. I don't know how I don't know what the reception to this would have been at the time by regular readers. Um, I suspect maybe along the same lines. It's not like this is something people talk about today. Uh, which is why it makes for a great topic on uh, on this podcast. I, w- I was surprised to see Omega Supreme because I didn't even know who that was. Yeah. I really, I was like, "What?" I th- I would have liked to have seen Skylinks though. <laughs> Skylinks was like this. Uh, it could it could have like three. F- see, there were also some Transformers that came along that had like could transform into two different things so it was like three two different total, things total of three and there, there weren't a lot of them but you know skylinks was a uh a, 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 like like the car form was like a like a like a cat like a lynx basically and then it had a space shuttle and then it had like a giant like almost like dinosaur type with wings and shit oh yeah there's a i remember it in this one it was like a like an outbreak kind of episode where all the Transformers were getting infected by some kind of red thing. And Skylinks was like one of the last ones to go down. Uh, Sean, do you remember that from the from the cartoon? Say that one more time. Andy. It was like this, like some kind of like, I don't know, like a disease that like it was like this red dust that was like infecting all the it doesn't matter if you were if you were Autobot or Decepticon. Yes. That's, oh that's, my God. I remember Skylinks. That's like that episode of Smurfs when yeah. if they got bit on the tail, they became purple and were and 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 they uh, became like evil, like almost like zombies. Jesus. Like Papa yeah. Smurf was the last I, one to go down. That was a big thing. Was that this was like a, what if, like Smurf edition? Yeah, that, 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 that was something that like Smurf. scarred me as a kid. Like you know, being like the like in those like. They they basically took like a zombie story and made it to like a kid's cartoon story thing, like an infection that was getting around. And they did in Smurfs, they did in Transformers, something like that. Yeah. But I do remember Skylink was like the last one to go down, right? Like mm-hmm. like kind of sacrifice himself, knowing hoping that like, you know, what he did was gonna lead to the the cure coming or something like yeah. that. God damn, pal. Um it's some deep shit. Yeah, deeper than I would expect. So there's a few ways to read the story. It's not on Marvel Unlimited because this these were two licensed properties which Marvel no longer has license to. But um, the current license holder, I, I gather IDW, um, has actually re, reprinted this, which is allowed because it did not feature any original Marvel characters. It's all... You know, just again, licensed properties. So, yeah, through Hasbro. So they collected this in a trade paperback uh, from 2012. It's called GI Joe Transformers Volume One. Um, And it's also, I am told, in the eighth and final volume of Transformers Classics. I don't know if those are still in print. (laughs) If they are not, then this can also be gotten on Comixology which is, I understand how some of you read this. 
Yeah, if you have it on, if you have Comixology Unlimited, it's free to read as part of the subscription. That's how I read it. So, how about that? Yep. Uh, and if you want to buy the actual uh, issues, <laughs> you can find it used on eBay. Again, I am told for fifty five dollars for a complete set. That's quite a lot for. Yep. Yeah, some it, ra- it ranges comics. from any, it ranges anywhere from thirty five to fifty five, depending. Yeah, I gotta imagine there's there's a range. You know, your your uh, your CGC graded books are gonna go for a whole lot more. But yeah. if you're just trying to find, you know, in decent condition, these four issues, they're out there. That's pretty much what <laughs> I have. Mine are decent condition and not in sleeves or anything like that. I, I Brody from from Mallrats would be screaming at me right now. Oh, he'd be. I'm, I'm the worst comic collector in the world because I've just got shit piled up. Basically, not even in boxes. So. Back to board. Oh no, just piled oh. up, pot, just piled up, just sitting around. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah. I, I have very little, like I don't know, like sentimentality when it comes to physical comic books. I mean, there are some like from my from my childhood, but anything like. I don't know, older than like 1996 is just like, eh, I'll wipe my ass with it and put it on a shelf kind of thing. <laughs> just, <laughs> you would think I would not be like that, but I don't know. Anyway, any final thoughts from you guys? I think we have about covered it here. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. If you're a fan of these, like, like Andy is, Go out of your way and read it, but if you're on the peripheral, like you've just watched the movies, uh, just like I have, and you know I'm uh, I'm a little bit on the younger side, um, you know I say that as a 33 year old, I'm getting up there in age. Uh, I would stay away, but like I said, if you enjoy those, uh, check it out. But as we discussed, you're not going to get the characters you're used to. You're getting Golden Bug and a bunch of other characters who I don't know. Uh someone who's dressed like a serpent. Um yeah, <laughs> j- just like the D team. But yeah. All right. Cool. I will, not the village people. God. What what I what I will add is if you really want to get really good GI Joe and really good Cobra, or I'm sorry, a good Cobra and good Transformers, go back and read the original Marvel. Like I was never Okay, so for me, Transformers the comic was never a big thing for me because I feel like Transformers doesn't translate the comic books as well as it does on TV because the whole tra- the whole cool thing about Transformers is how they transform into vehicles and you lose some of that luster in comics. Mm-hmm. Like that whole... Yeah, yeah. the visual so, is, doesn't yeah. translate. So, certainly. I, so for me, I would say I'm okay if you ignore the comic book version of Transformers and watch the cartoon. What I will tell you is, though... The G.I. Joe comic books are amazing, and there's some good character development. There's some good storytelling. Uh, some of the best stories, in turn, especially when it comes to Snake Eyes and his backstory, is absolutely amazing. Oh, his backstory is so good. Yeah, great. but there are some really good character-driven stories that are be and really go out of your way to read G.I. Joe. If you want to see some good G.I. Joe, go back and read the original Marvel and even the later G.I. Joe that IDW and all those do, there's some really good G.I. Joe stories out there. Don't, and Schiff, I would tell you to go out of your way to do that too. Don't use this miniseries as context for how good they can be because it doesn't do, its judge, do it justice. This really is a cash grab, just to tell you that. So, 
That's my opinion. If you and want it to sounds like Joker, probably it sounds like probably don't use the cartoons as a judge for how good these the, properties can the be. Cartoon, no, the G.I. No, Joe no, cartoons, the cartoons, are, some, the cartoons are, fan, the cartoons are fantastic, especially the ones pre, um, the pre-Serfenter ones or whatever his name is. Or Pre-Hawk. Yeah, yeah pre-Serfenter, pre-Hawk ones are amazing. So, yeah. Pre-Sergeant Slaughter. Pre-Sergeant yeah, Slaughter. yeah, Sergeant Slaughter kind of, uh, he was like, yeah. It's like adding like it's it, you know it's it, it jumped it kind of jumped the shark a little bit with with uh, Sergeant Slaughter coming in. I'm just thinking thinking back to the the little bit of GI Joe exposure I've had from the cartoons, and it's like I wouldn't try to rewatch those today as an adult, but the comic I probably would. Um, just again because of of Larry Hama and knowing the just amount of detail yeah. and attention that he that he gave this world larry hama he does an amazing job drive i mean he makes gi joe fantastic so yeah and i mean if he was a longtime writer of wolverine comics as well um yes throughout yes. the night i mean pretty much the principal writer of that character throughout the 90s Correct. So, i mean he's no slouch i mean for me the appeal of this was the crossover, like seeing my two favorite cartoons together. It, it just, you know, it, it was what drew me to it. And I would see, like, I would seek out the cartoons. If you're really interested in this, watch the cartoons and, and just enjoy them. And cause there, there is some really great storytelling in there and some great characters and not a lot of characters you see in this, in the, in these, uh, this series here, but you know, the movies, uh, you know, I, I a little part of my childhood dies every time I watch one. <laughs> like I said, I I didn't hate the first Transformers, although I did walk out of the movie theater sounding very comic book guy with my all my gripes. I was like, okay, first of all, Devastator was not a truck; it was the, the six and and the design of Devastator in the set in the second movie or the third movie. I was like, I was pissed off at that. So I think it was the second movie. Um, and the G.I. Joe movies, yeah, they 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 are kind of kind of crappy. And I wish, you know, there there was talk, and I think it, it did it did, it never really came to fruition, but of a um a like a shared universe uh for right. it was gonna be G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, and Micronauts, which is something I never really uh watched. But I, you know, you you guys know like I'm a I do, I do like a screenwriter on the side. Like it's like a fun for me, and it's maybe a pipe dream. But like, if I ever got a chance to do a licensed property, I would love to write a mask movie. That is, really, because that's it's not as well known, and I think you could kind of have like a little bit of a sandbox, but you don't want to turn it into Battleship. That's the only problem with that, because I Battleship just shit the bed on on what could have been an awesome sandbox to play in. But mask, yeah, mask is. Uh, you know, I'll, t- I'll talk about it when we get the plugs, but mask is definitely something I'm going to, uh, to want to do on the, uh, the, the, the new cartoon pod once that's up and going. Very cool. Um, so I'm doing a little independent research on the fly here and it appears that Optimus prime was killed off in issue 24 of the ongoing Transformers series which, again, would have been very contemporaneously 
published like alongside this this uh, limited series. Um, so very different from whatever they did in Transformers in the movie. They they do kill off Optimus Prime, but it's it's not it's not just you know uh, a straight adaptation of the movie. And it looks like maybe Megatron buys it in the next issue twenty five. <laughs> I'm not not sure about that, but I, you know, I, I think that these events from the ongoing series are, are what intruded upon this uh, this poor little limited series. <laughs> um, and by the way, the uh, the name Goldbug is incorporated into the ongoing series. It says, uh, let's see, as of yeah, issue twenty nine. Bumblebee, now calling himself Goldbug, <laughs> meets with GB Blackrock. Okay, there's Blackrock, mm. that character, to try to get information on this, the Decepticons. Meanwhile, a mysterious Transformer with a horrible threat has crash landed in the Southwest in a story called Crater Critters. Mm. So, there you go. Um, I want to say Transformers was a lot more popular for some reason in the UK as a comic than it ever was in the States. Um, I don't know why that is, but I know a lot of UK based comic fans are like big Transformers fans. And it's because of, um, it's because of Transformers, the comic more so than like the cartoon. So anyway, that's about it. Uh, for this episode of Traitors of the Lost Arks, uh, we will be at it again next month. This is a monthly podcast. I feel like we just did our first episode, and here we are already on episode three. We'll be at episode four sooner than you think, so that'll be like our own four-issue limited series. But we're going to try mm. to keep it going, and uh, I don't know what we'll cover next. But uh, I'm sure it will be a fun outing all the same. So, for Scott Shifflett, for Sean Kidd, for Andy Atherton, I am Tim Capel. We will catch you next time. Right here on Place Me Nation Pop. G.I. Joe.